0: Welcome back to the reading and writing podcast. My guest today is Nicholas Butler, author of the new novel, Godspeed. Nicholas, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Well, if someone hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Godspeed, how would you describe the novel?
1: Yeah, I'd say it's kind of a a ticking clock literary thriller about three guys who own sort of a young construction company and uh, they are approached by a mysterious wealthy woman who wants them to uh, finish the construction of her architecturally significant house outside of Jackson, Wyoming. And if they can do so in a rather short amount of time, they'll get a, a, a robust reward. But of course, because it's a thriller, things don't go easily. And uh, the reader knows things aren't going to go well, but they don't know when things are going to go bad and uh, how they're going to go bad and who they're going to go bad for. (laughs) Well, do you remember the original idea
0: or impetus that led you to writing Godspeed? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Back in 2014, uh, we finished construction of our, the house. I'm talking to you from South of, uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. It's nothing like the house described in the book. Um, <laughs> and, uh, a family friend who works in the construction trades came over to talk and look at the house. And he started telling us about this, um, house he'd been working on multi million dollar house, not far from us. And, uh, the crew kind of slipped behind on their projected finish date for that house. And the uh, homeowner got everybody on the crew together and said she would offer them each a five figure bonus. If they could finish the house in the next three weeks. And he said, Nick, if we had all the meth in the world, we couldn't have finished that house in three weeks. And I thought that seems like a good idea for a book. So I started <laughs> asking myself questions about, you know, well, who is that homeowner and where does their money come from and why do they have this deadline and what would happen if that crew of guys said that they would do it and what if things started um, to go wrong as they approached their deadline, what would they do, you know, that deep into a project to stick with it so that they could get the reward. And uh, what if they did begin using math to stay up all night long? So, Yeah. (laughs) Well, what was your original writing
0: journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published?
1: Well, it's a, it's a long story. I don't know. I mean, I think I've been (laughs) probably writing since the fifth grade. I wrote for my middle school newspaper. I wrote for my high school newspaper. Um, I have always loved books. I mean, I think that's where most people's writing career really begins. Like, are you passionate about books and stories? Um, I worked a string of really crappy job jobs through my twenties, never made any money, um, but kept writing, you know, publishing things here and there, poetry, little bits of nonfiction. Um and then when my wife became pregnant with our first kid, I think I was like twenty eight, and working at a liquor store, and we were on food stamps and close to bankruptcy and i just sort of had a conversation with myself about like what kind of dad i wanted to be what kind of man i wanted to be and uh, what i was good at the only thing i could really think that i was any good at was uh writing writing so i started taking um private workshops i started taking fiction writing really seriously and um applied to grad school's one year, got totally shut out, applied again the next year, and got into Iowa. And from there things, you know, moved very quickly for me. And what
0: was your MFA experience at the Iowa's Writer Workshop?
1: Well, I think everybody has their own Iowa stories. You know, uh it's a psychologically, you know, difficult uh program for everybody. But my story was basically that <laughs> My family and I were living north of Minneapolis, Minnesota, because my my wife had a good job uh, there in the Twin Cities. And, um, and we couldn't afford for her to not have that job. So uh, I would commute down to Iowa City every Monday from the Twin Cities, which is a four-and-a-half-hour drive. Um, I lived in crappy apartments. And... Um, and then I'd come back on Wednesday or Thursday and you know the that sort of um discomfort or hardship really focused me um because I kept asking myself you know well basically telling myself if you don't have a book by the time you're done with these 2 years what well, what are you doing and what was my wife doing you know as basically a um Unwitting single parent all of a sudden, and what what was what was I doing away from my baby boy and you know I tallied up all the hours I spent in the car during those two years, and it amounted to thirty one days of my life just in the car driving oh. um but that really meant that I was fully invested in what I was doing. I was not screwing around, I was laser focused I wrote all the time I mean I wish i, I you know there's days I feel guilty you know, five books into my career that I, I don't still have that exact same fire and resolve and focus because I was, um, unstoppable.
0: And what were you writing? Um, were you writing things that, um, were kind of outside of your class assignments or was it all focused? I mean, I'm not sure exactly how I was structured. You said you were working all the time. What were you writing at the time?
1: Well, basically, the way the 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 workshops operate is normally you'd be able to submit somewhere between two to three short stories or novel excerpts per semester. Um, The first semester I was there, I was in James Allen McPherson's workshop, which was life changing for me for a multitude of reasons. Um, And I think I submitted five short stories that semester which earned me a commemorative Michael Jackson plate that McPherson gave me. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I was, I was working on, I didn't know that it was a short story collection at that time, but I, I was working on stories that would become beneath the bonfire. And I was working on uh, novella links um, stories that would become big chapters of my first novel shotgun love songs.
0: Well, when you were working on your novel, Godspeed, what what was the writing process when you're, when you're working on a novel, is it the same? Do you outline extensively or do you just kind of jump into the narrative and see where it takes you?
1: I think it changes book to book, you know, with shotgun love songs, I didn't know what I was doing. It was my first novel. Uh, and I think like maybe a lot of writers out there, I thought, well, I'm just going to write short stories. Like that's what it. There's something really pure about short stories, probably because they're completely uh, unmarketable. Um, But then uh, I got sort of Jedi mind tricked into uh, writing a novel. Uh, I'd shown my agent some of those novella-length bits of what would become Shotgun Love Songs, and he felt like it was really a novel. So um, with that book, for example, I just printed out every chat like unlinked chapter that i had laid them out on my dining room table and then kind of assembled in in order for things figured out where the the holes in the narrative were and then went back and rewrote that and tried to give each character equal footing in the book but that might be the only book that i really have ever mapped out um with godspeed it was just this frenetic frantic uh self-imposed deadline that I gave myself. I I basically worked any time I could for five months on that book while I was promoting another book that had come out, Little Faith, which is uh the fourth book I've published. And uh I didn't have any I didn't have any map for what road map for what was happening. I was just I knew these guys had a deadline. I had a deadline. Um I had a, a rough idea of where I wanted to take the characters and I really just kind of rode the, uh, the emotional truth of the book, which was that these guys were under extreme pressure and also that Gretchen, another major character is also under her own pressure. And I, I applied that pressure to myself as the writer and um, I think it worked, but I don't know that I'd, I'd really recommend doing that process to other writers necessarily. Well,
0: I know that you, as you've mentioned, you write short stories as well. I'm curious when you sit down uh, to kind of a blank page, do you usually know if it's
1: going to be a short story or the beginning of a novel? That's a good question. You know, if I'm being really candid with you, Jeff, I haven't I haven't written a lot of short stories lately. Um, I, you know, and I love that form. And I'd like to get back to it. And I have short stories inside my head that uh, need to come out. Um, I think I've moved towards novel writing because I love the challenge of it. I love the form. I just love the space, you know, that's, that's Mm -hmm. in a novel. I love the world building and character building that can happen. Um, I love the fact that I can um, explore my, my own life and, um, and curiosities and intellectual concerns. And you can do that in a short story for sure, but boy, you don't have the same amount of real estate to do it. Um, but I think the answer, the quick answer to your question is, yeah, I normally, it's not like I, these days anyway, I don't start to write a short story and am suddenly surprised that it's a novel. I know, right. You know, I think the short stories that are in my head that need to escape, they're going to remain short stories, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So what writing advice would you offer
0: for those who are working on their own stories or novels?
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.
1: Get started today at try life That's trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. I mean, the easiest advice is just read, 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 read. Um, you know, I think the. I don't teach a whole lot. I, I live in northern Wisconsin and there's just, you know, there's not a whole lot happening here. There's not opportunities for me to teach. <laughs> uh, but I do teach occasionally and I always i am fascinated and a little bit disappointed when I meet somebody who wants to be a writer who doesn't read. Um, and it happens more than I'd like. And I always think that would be like me wanting to saying to somebody saying to like a professional carpenter, like a journeyman or a master carpenter. Yeah, I want to be a carpenter. Uh, only thing is I don't have any tools and I'm not really interested in getting any tools. You know, that carpenter would look at you like you were Bananas. Um, and I think it's mm-hmm. the same way with writing. Like, if you're not reading all the time, how do you, what do you expect to happen? How do you think you're going to become a writer? Why? And what do you, what do you, what do you think <laughs> being, being a writer is? It's not fortune and glory. You know, it's a lot of self doubt and uh, years of silence. And then you release a book. And if you're really lucky, you might get, you know, a week or two weeks or a month of attention you're probably not going to get a ton of money. So you got to be obsessed, obsessed with and love books and stories. And, um, so I think reading is the biggest thing. And I mean, I think the other thing is that some writers, uh, will go to a workshop, um, or a retreat. And, they ostensibly are asking for advice, but really they they what they want is affirmation. And that's another complete mistake. I mean, writing is a lot of rejection. It's people aren't being mean to you. Um, they're trying to help you get to the the, be, the best ending, you know, the best case scenario. Um, so you have to you have to submit yourself, you know, you have to be a little bit submissive during that process. Um, and I, and I, and I think a lot of people don't want to be that, that vulnerable.
0: Well, you mentioned reading. What have you been reading lately that you've
1: enjoyed? Uh, hold on one second. I've got a, I've got a journal sure. here where I keep all the the books that I've read recently. Uh, cause I have a terrible memory. I just finished uh, my friend Ben Percy's book, the ninth metal. Which uh, for like sort of a thriller, mystery, uh, sci-fi book was fantastic. Maybe the best of his career. I've read, what else did I read here? Heavier Than Heaven, a biography of Kurt Cobain. Love that book. Um, what else? Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Um took that book really personally. My dad's been in a nursing home for 20 years. So notions of mortality and quality of life mean a lot to me. Um, I read still life with woodpecker by Tom Robbins on spring break. Love that book. Um, how much time do you have bluebird, bluebird by <laughs> a- bluebird, bluebird bird by Attica Locke. Great mystery in the shadow of wolves by Slepikas dark book but fantastic it's been a great reading year the storm chasers by jenna bloom i can go on and on that's great yeah are you working on a new novel now i am yeah i gotta i gotta write a book every uh two years man or i don't get paid so uh (laughs) yeah i'm I'm working on a new one i gotta be a little bit um coy with what i'm working on because um I, am a little superstitious sure. about that stuff, but I'm, yeah, I've got, uh, actually two ideas for novels. So I'm kind of at a crossroads where I got to figure out which story is really got my attention and my energy and then folk. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel Godspeed? Yeah. I, uh, my website is, uh, com. Uh, I'm on, uh, the gram at Wisco Butler. I'm barely on Twitter at Wisco but- Butler. Mostly I've I seemed to have tweeted about Magnum PI. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why that was important to me. Uh, I'm on Facebook, you know, under Nicholas Butler. Um, yeah. And I, and you know, a big part of my career has been independent booksellers. So I try to get out there on the road. And visit libraries and and indie booksellers as much as possible. I think that's uh, even though these uh, social media platforms are becoming more and more important, and I'm putting more effort into them. Uh, you know, a writer like me, those indie bookstores are just so important. So
0: that's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Nicholas Butler, author of the new novel Godspeed. The novel is on sale now, so you can go grab a copy. And, Nicholas, thanks for doing this interview. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Godspeed by Nicholas Butler, performed by John Orsini, available from PRH Audio wherever audiobooks are sold.
3: This was the house that would change their fortunes. They could feel it. Cole had barely steered his pickup off the highway and passed through an open cattle gate before they began climbing the dusty canyon road north, and they could feel it. Money, like a vibration in the crisp mountain air. It was humming out there, an expectancy, a promise. And they were driving toward it, cotton mouthed, skin crawling. They could practically see it on the wind pushing the late summer leaves, swaying the yellowing meadow grasses, smiling down upon the dappled river water below. The whole world here looked like money. Money just waiting to be plucked up off the ground. The leaves like greenbacks, the shimmer of the water like silver coins. They needed this house, this break. They needed this work. Work for what sounded like as much as a year, maybe more and not the thankless, back-breaking tedium they'd been reduced to for the past few years either. No, this was something to build a reputation on, a name, something to stake a man for decades. The kind of signature house a person could point to and proudly say, I built that. Me. I built that. The kind of house that Thirty years from now, when they were all broken-down old men, they could travel to with their grandchildren and be welcomed, like masters of some dying art. Bart rode in the passenger seat, blinking down at the chasm that had now fallen away, just an arm's length from the gravel road. Not even a mile off the highway, and already the country was wild, wild, wild. Below the road snaked a river raging white and blue, cataracts tumbling and above them, off the low mountainsides, wispy waterfalls spilled down like great lengths of silver-white hair. A prominent dip of chew bumped out Bart's lower lip, and by and by he spit into an empty Coca-Cola can. I lived here almost 20 years, and I ain't never been down this road, he said, peering over at Cole, who took the gravel track with white-knuckled respect. A blown-out tire wouldn't just be a pain in the ass out here, It would put them behind schedule for their noon meeting with the homeowner. You ever been back here, Cole? Cole shook his head no, fixing Bart with a meaningful look for as long as he dared before turning back to the road ahead of them. This is big, pristine, private country, the look communicated. You and me, we don't just get invited back here. She told me she had a driveway punched in last summer, Cole said. Another two miles or so off this road. He pointed an index finger up into the mountains. Somewhere up in there, I'm guessing. You imagine the kind of bread they're spending? Teddy put in from the back seat of the extended cab. I mean, a two mile driveway? Up here? That's an Army Corps type operation. All that goddamn California money's what it is, said Bart. Hell, that state's filling up. Cheaper for them to come out here and plop a house down on a mountaintop than it is to buy a nice two-bedroom in San Diego or Los Angeles. Cheaper to build a house in the clouds. Lunacy, you ask me. It had been an unseasonably warm spring and summer in western Wyoming, and now the mountain air was sweet with sage. The late August sky overhead deliriously blue and gauzed in cottony clouds. In the back seat, Teddy studied a gazetteer biting his lower lip and running his fingers over the map. Bart hung an arm out the passenger side window as the truck began to pull away from the canyon side. Soon they passed through a glade of trees and he reached out for the branch of a lodge pine, managing to snap off a handful of needles. Now the cab of the truck was filled with that smell, commingling with his Copenhagen chew, pine and mint and tobacco. All three men were dressed just a bit more presentably than usual. Unstained, newish Carhartt pants, plaid short-sleeved shirts with collars, scuffed work boots buffed up near to a shine. Cole glanced at himself in the rear view, tamping down his brown crew cut with his fingers and studying his newly shaved face. The razor burned beneath his jaw, his recently whitened teeth. Bart went to work with his pocket knife, cleaning beneath his fingernails, while Teddy sighed deeply and drummed his hands against his thighs.